Welcome to Doggy Dish, where two of LA's best dog trainers serve up a hearty helping of dog topics. At the end of this podcast, we'll provide information on how to contact our trainers. And now, here they are. Hi, this is Laura Burhenny from Animal Attraction Unlimited. And Kim Reinhardt of Ain't Misbehaving Canine. Today, we were going to talk a little bit about what I call testing versus training. Testing as in math? Yes, yes, Laura. Testing is an algebra. <laughs> no, no. Testing versus training. Those SATs, right? <laughs> in, no, in dog <laughs> training. And testing versus training is, is kind of what I think people mistakenly do with their dogs. Most people spend a great deal of time with their dogs tr- testing the behavior when they haven't really spent a lot of time training. Right. To see if it'll work. Will it work now? I mean, I did like a whole three repet- repetitions. Now I could take him out the busiest corner of town and he'll do it. Exactly. And the truth of the matter is training is what you do to get a dog to understand what he's supposed to be doing and then you take it out to various different sets of circumstances and you train in a lot of different areas. You generalize it. Absolutely. You help the dog understand that sit means sit means sit means sit regardless of where you are, what you're doing. Right. But generalizing is a dog training term and term, I think right. that what that means is basically you take it to every set of circumstances and, and against that you all can foresee right. in your future that is going to happen in the dog's life and you train it there you don't just assume the dog is going to do it there absolutely all of these things should be done in a training situation testing is when you take the dog out into a situation where you're really not that sure what he's going to do and you just check to see. Right. Is he going Let, to be able to do Let's see if he'll this? do it here. <laughs> I have a feeling he's not, but let's see. Right. And unfortunately, testing is all too common what people do with their dogs, probably on a percentage of like 80% testing to 20% training. And it should be absolutely the other way around. It should be about 95% training right. and 5% testing. And when you test, you have to be able to fix it. I mean, if the dog, if you test and the dog fails, you can't just walk away from that failure. You have to help the dog succeed in that situation. Well, truthfully, when I'm working with my clients, I tell them, life throws tests at you. Every time that you see a test that you can pass on, you should pass on it. Because occasionally something's going to come up that you truly do not have any control over. Mm -hmm. And if you've done your work and you've really trained the dog and you've worked under various sets of circumstances and you've really proofed against so many different types of distractions, then the likelihood that your dog is going to pass the test is great. That's when you need him to pass the test, by the way, because those are tests that you can't control. Most of the time, most of the time when you're working with your dog, you should be training the dog. You should be putting the dog in a set of circumstances where you know that you can control the outcome and you should be making sure that you set the dog up for as much success as possible. You should work against distractions that are relatively certain your dog can handle successfully and then just take a very, 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 very tiny step towards something that you think is a little more difficult for him. Mm -hmm. These are the things that we do to proof a dog. Unfortunately, Laura. Yes, Kim? How many of your clients do you think test before they trained? I'd rather not say. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, don't, I, I don't rat I'll, out your clients. <laughs> okay, can you stand on the fifth to protect other people? Yes, exactly. To, to keep from incriminating other people? Exactly. But if you weren't talking about your clients, how many of my clients do you think test oh, your rather clients? than train? <laughs> All of them. No. No, I think, I think that sometimes we run into very diligent clients. You know, I mean, I think a lot of them are, are diligent, but... 
we human beings tend to have one-track minds. We tend to not remember how long it took us to learn something new, and we just assume that our dogs are going to, after three repetitions of doing something correctly, now he knows it. He knows it. He knows it in the kitchen in front of the refrigerator. And so now, no matter where I take him, he's going to do it. He knows it out on the busy street. I, I agree with you. I think people do it with the best of intentions. I think that they don't understand that a test is something that you've basically set the dog up to fail at. And that, unfortunately, they learn as often from their failures as they do from their success. Uh, Successes. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I hate that it big, when that, that big tough word. That was hard. <laughs> okay. Well, so, oftentimes people don't realize that if you set your dog up and they fail something and they fail a test, but they do it successfully, it it ends up being rewarding for them. Absolutely. Then you've just trained the opposite of what you want them to know. That's the harm of testing. Right. So, like an example of that might be: I take my dog to a park, and there's a squirrel playing around the bottom of a tree 100 feet away, 100 yards away, whatever it is. And my dog's on a long line, but the long line is only 30 feet away. And I go, oh, well, let's see if my dog will do a good recall. And I drop the end of the long line and let my dog take off towards the squirrel to the point where I can't reach the end of the 30-foot long line. And I say, Sammy, come. And not that my dog Sammy would ignore me, <laughs> especially when a squirrel's involved. And I say, Sammy, come, because I'm testing him. I didn't try, didn't start off training him. I didn't start off calling him when he was only 5 feet away or 15 feet away or whatever. And I was farther away from the squirrel. But now I don't call him until he's now 10 feet from the tree. And the squirrel is up in the tree yakking at him, teasing him and going, come and get me, come and get me. What do you think the chances are my dog is going to succeed? Exactly. He's not going to, he's going to succeed in ignoring me because even though the squirrel's up in the tree, it still is reinforcing for him. And if you were a client of mine and you were telling me that story, I would say to you, you would at fire point, me. No, you would but fire I would, me as a client. No, but I would say to you, at the point that you called your dog, what did you feel the likelihood was that he was going to turn around and come back? And most of the time, people be pretty honest at that point, mm-hmm. and they'll say, "Well, I thought he might," right. which is not exactly a high percentage. <laughs> right? I thought he might, and the look on their face is yes, limb to none. And what I try to get people to do is to realize that you need to work in areas that you are certain. You need to have had so much training, so much practice under this set of circumstances or something very similar that you have a pretty, you feel pretty certain that your dog is actually going to come to you. And it would surprise you if your dog didn't. And then you would have a plan for what you were going to do at that point. Which is funny because as you said that, I'm thinking of all the people who would describe a scenario sort of like that and go, and he came back to me. And they were so surprised that he actually came back to them. And it's like, then why did you put him in that situation? Because you were so lucky. That's all it was, was luck. That's one of the situations where we say that you have set your dog up for failure. Right. And that's the problem with testing. If you test too much, you are, in essence, training what you don't want your dog to know. And you're setting your dog up for failure, and it's not fair to the dog. It's absolutely not fair you to know the what? dog. Even if it was 100% fair, which you're right, it's not. But even if it was 100% fair, what it is is a bad strategy. If you right. want a dog who is going to listen to you, if you want a dog that you're going to have some level of reliability in, then you've set yourself up with a very poor strategy. You should go into a situation like that being fairly certain of the outcome, not not going, well, let's just see what will happen. I think that people don't realize that every time your dog 
does something that you don't want him to do. This happens to me all the time. I talk to a client and they'll say, well, I know we're not supposed to do this one thing that you told us not to do, but this day we were really busy and there was a lot going on and we were really distracted and it happened and he got away with it and they're worried that I'm going to be upset with them. And the truth of the matter is, I'm not upset with them. I'm upset that we lost ground. Yes. That basically we just set ourselves back with their dog's training monumentally. Yeah. And unfortunately, because they're the people with goals, I have goals for, for certain, but my clients, really, it, it impacts their lives much, much greater than it does mine. Yeah, because you don't live with the dog. Exactly. So now it's pushed them further, much further from their goals. And in fact, sometimes if you've been training a behavior and you let the dog go to the wrong place, do the wrong thing, and have successful a couple of successful opportunities doing something that you don't want them to do, sometimes that set you back not to the beginning of your training, but actually further than the beginning of where you started. Yeah, especially depending on how reinforcing reinforcing the behavior was. I mean, it's the slot machine effect. It's kind of like dogs who counter surf. You know, you have your turkey sandwich up on the counter, and the dog comes by and steals it, and you go, oh, it was only one sandwich. Hey, it was a turkey sandwich. Right. It was really, really reinforcing for the dog. So guess how often now the dog is going to be checking up on the counter for turkey sandwiches? Absolutely. And even if he doesn't get turkey, if it's you know, cheese, anything, anything edible, the dog's, oh, well, it was only it was only a cracker, but still it was food. It was reinforcing enough to continue to try that behavior. Absolutely. Or another classic example would be a dog that has, it's become a habitual runner. So it mm-hmm. likes to bust out of the gate and take off running and play keep away for an extended period of time. It is imperative when you're working with that dog that you not give him an opportunity to get out of that gate. Mm-hmm. So normally, I think we both probably work this way. Laura, I, I guess you work this way. I, I know that I do. I'm going to set my client up to absolutely do not let that dog bust out of that gate under any set of circumstances. It's imperative when we're training that dog that they not have an opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. Because we're trying to untrain a behavior. And if if he's allowed to do that behavior just one time, it's back. And it's back full force. And it was actually more reinforcing. Mm -hmm. Because now they've spent some time... Let's say you're working on a stay at the gate, Mm -hmm. okay? And and you tell people, okay, this is how we're going to work. And you outline this, this nice training program for them. And you say it's very, very important that you work only at the level that the dog is going to be successful and that you continuously take very tiny steps towards being able to leave the gate open and so they work on it for a week and they're they're making nice progress and things are going well and then one day well they're bringing in some lumber because they have a project going on in the backyard and oh they came through the gate and they forgot to latch it and the dog breaks out and they say you know he got out and yeah he ran from us and but you know it was only the one time but the problem with that is this you just taught the dog stay really didn't mean anything to begin with Mm -hmm. so You've introduced an idea now of something that you want him to think, and you've taught him it's meaningless. Mm-hmm. You've truly taught him it's meaningless. Now you have to go back and try to train that behavior as something different. And that's one of those experiences where, or let's say they, oh, this happens to me. <laughs> okay, now I'm ratting out my client, okay, who I love okay. very much, by right. the way. But um, Or they'll say, you know, he'd been doing so well that we told him to stay, and we got all the way out to the truck. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. And then he was doing really well, and then the neighbor walked their dog down the street, and then he broke and he ran for it. But before that, he was doing really well. But he was doing so well. And I say, um, okay, 
you know, we, we're actually going to flush that. He was doing really well down the toilet. Right. Because in, in all honesty, he wasn't ready to be tested at that level. Yeah. And that was absolutely a test. That was not a training setup at all. No. They're going, let's see how far away from the dog we can get. Absolutely. Let's see what we can do. Let's see how this works. It's putting it into a practical application before it's ready to be used as a practical it's application. It's not ready for prime time. <laughs> Well, but but it is. It's it's making it a practical application when it's not ready. If you're training a new behavior, how long would you say normally for like a behavior like a stay at a gate? How long would you say you have your clients trained before? If the dog is not a door dasher, if the dog is not a door dasher, for it to be reliable, kind of depends on the age and breed of the dog. Right. But let's say it's a nice, mellow, easygoing, easy to learn type of dog that if it comes out of the gate, it's not going to come full speed. I would say probably um, three months, yes. four months of everyday training. Yes. And even then, you're still going to have to, you know, if a dog walks by or a squirrel goes up the tree across the street, there's still all of those other variables that go into it. If you're dealing with a dog that has a history of, of door dashing, you have to look back at how long has this dog been doing this door dashing, and you have to get twice that amount of time of him not doing that behavior and training the behavior for it to be anywhere close to reliable. I absolutely agree. And I think that probably there are people out there listening to this podcast going, you're kidding, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's been doing this for a year and a half. I mean, i got to train this for three years? Yes. Yeah, I'm yes. sorry. But what were you doing for that year and a half? Absolutely. Well, even even beyond that, even if you had a really good year not or a really good reason not to train for that year and a half, the truth is, yes, this is a habit. And you have and to break the habit. Absolutely. Think, folks, about how difficult it is for you to break a reinforcing habit. Well, and not only that, but under times of stress, we always revert back to that which we know the best, that which has the highest number of reinforcement. It's like, let's say you learn to play a song on the piano, mm-hmm. and you play it wrong, mm-hmm. okay? You hit the wrong note every time, or or you hit it at a different, different tempo, mm-hmm. and now you have to change this one little particular thing. You're going to fall back into that pattern, and when you are relearning it, you have to relearn it, and you have to start out slow, and you have to start out slow, and then you get faster and faster and faster, but then now, it hasn't been anywhere near as as long as you first originally learned it, and now you have to be up, up on a stage for a recital, and you're under stress, the chances of you going back to the original wrong way of doing it are pretty high. Especially if you did it the wrong way for three years, and you practiced yeah. it for three months. Exactly. And I think... With our dogs, we have to remember that at the piano recital, by the way, it was our idea. Mm -hmm. But with our dogs, this isn't even their idea. This is our idea of changing their behavior. They may have thought nothing was wrong with that. There was nothing wrong with the old behavior. (laughs) I liked that one. That was working great for me. (laughs) So, you know, where this becomes a problem is in testing. And I think if people at home are working with their dogs, and I think that always when you're working with your dog, always when you're training your dog, you need to think, you need to ask yourself continuously throughout the process, am I testing here or am I training? And what should I be doing? Should I be testing or should I be training? Testing should be done, again, this bears repeating, about 5% of the time. Mm -hmm. Training should constitute a very large percentage of your work. When I have a dog that has been 
that I've been working with for an extent, my own dogs say, my own dogs, which, you know, didn't come with, with problematic behaviors to begin with. Okay, so I've been working with a young dog, and I've had it from the time it's a baby, and it's a year and a half old. I may start doing a little more testing at that point, but keep in mind that this dog has had singular experiences for a year and a half. It has been set up to understand how things need to go for a year and a half. So its habits have been built the way I want the habits to be. Then I might start using that in a very realistic way. But I still wouldn't, as I saw one trainer do one time. Wasn't me, was it? No. Okay, good. Oh, no, you're going to laugh when you hear this, though. I still wouldn't set my dog up on a sit-stay across the street. Oh. And then walk across a busy street with a lot of traffic. And he put the dog in a down-stay, and by the time he got across the street, the dog was up in a sit. While he had his back turned. Yeah, we can't even go there because it makes me crazy. Yeah. But, But honestly, that's still a situation where... I would never put a young dog in that situation. I don't think I would put an older dog in that situation. And there's too many variables. Somebody could honk a horn. Somebody could throw something out a window. Somebody could cut the corner there. Somebody could be talking on the phone or doing a text messaging and not paying attention to the road. But even no matter how reliable your dog is, there are situations that you can't foresee. If a car drove by and backfired just as it drove by your dog, that could send your dog into a fearful run for their life. Right. And it could be really potentially dangerous. So that's a test I don't think I don't think is a very responsible test. But in a park, I frequently take my dogs out and put them on a uh, downstay on one side of the park and go to the other side of the park, which is quite a distance away, and call them one at a time, which is really a test, a huge test of their ability. However But you didn't start out across the park. And and it's important yeah it's important to note that when I do this exercise right now Three of my dogs are on a downstay, and my youngest dog, who is only about 10 months old and who I've been working with and who has a very nice stay, walks across the park with me <laughs> yeah. to the other side of the park, what we call the other dogs, because in all honesty, I know that setting her up like that would be setting her up to potentially fail. She might do it. She might do it, but if she didn't, she would fail. She would. It would get reinforced because what am I going to do, get mad at her? That's kind of foolish. I would be getting angry at her or, or correcting her for coming across the park to me and truthfully I want my dogs to come to me right so right but that's just a go bang your head on the wall moment and I can't believe I set myself back that much wow yeah what was I thinking exactly but that's a trainer test okay when when, you're, when I'm talking about um, a client test mm-hmm. the gate comes to mind right or, and you know how to fix it and you know how to see if one of your dogs is going to break right because we can read that body language that says, I think I'm next. Right. I think she's going to call me next. And even if you don't call that dog, they're going to break as soon as they hear. Right. So you know how to fix it and go, oh, I'm not talking to you. Right. You make sure you stay. I'll be totally honest with you. I'm far enough away. I can't tell. <laughs> it's a really big bark. Okay. <laughs> but but uh, but I worked up to that level. And, and, and certainly, I started at a place where I could. You're right. Mm-hmm. I absolutely started at a place that I, I could. That... This is after a lot of training, and this is after training for a lot of distance and and extensively training. So I think, you know, when you get to the average person, who doesn't doesn't even want to do that? I mean, come on. That's just like something. That's a show-off thing, Yeah, that's just like the trainer getting her jollies. But the thing is... (laughs) <laughs> Six o'clock in the morning. There's no one there. Who's impressed? The coyotes, <laughs> whatever. But 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 truthfully, um, with people that I work with, with clients, they do not want their dogs to counter surf. Mm-hmm. 
They do want their dogs to stay at the gate. There are things, practical things, that they want the dog to do. But if they start testing way before the dog has actually learned and been um, proofed on a behavior, Mm -hmm. we're probably never going to get it. Right. We're probably really actually never going to get anything reliable. Right. Because then every time they test and fail, test and fail, test and fail, that puts the percentages of failure and dog being reinforced for the behavior you don't want much higher than the actual training. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's just a huge problem, and I, I think I think if people could really understand how much they lose in testing. Yeah. They think one repetition isn't bad. Or, oh, he only got out twice this week. <laughs> oh, he oh. only got out twice this week. Oh. <laughs> Ooh, I cringed. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're doing better. <laughs> or even if, uh, for me, even if people tell me about something where the dog did make it, I think you mentioned this earlier, where, where the dog did the right thing. But why would you do that? Right. Because there was such a good chance that the dog was going to fail. Why would you set them up for that? Because as they are failing, that in and of itself is reinforcing. If the dog did this as a habitual behavior and they do it again, it feels good. It feels familiar. It's Mm -hmm. comfortable. And it is in and of itself reinforcing. Yeah. It's like I tell my clients, this usually comes down to house training. Oh, well, you know, I don't don't want him. He's not in a crate all the time or he's not on a leash attached to me. I just have him in the little kitchen or whatever. And I know we wander around, but, oh, he's only had two accidents this week. Again, going back to that only, you know, how many this week. And I tell them, and granted, this is probably an over-exaggeration depending, of course, on the breed. But, oh, he's only had two accidents this week. And I tell them, you know what, for every accident your dog in the house, that sets you back two weeks in training. When you put it into numbers, if, when you put it into time like that, and you go two weeks, one accident, two weeks, they go, oh. oh. Yeah. They kind of see that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and actually, I don't think that is an exaggeration. Honestly, I think if it happens once, maybe that's an exaggeration. Yeah. But when it's one of those things that every time you go back and you talk to people, they go, this week he only did it this many times. Right. I think it is realistic to say it's it's two weeks. It's, that's another two weeks right. tacked onto the training. And I and most people do this. Most people test. This is a really ironic thing about it. Most people test because they're in a hurry to get to the finish and line. And it's setting them back. And it's getting them further yeah. and further from the finish line. They, they test because they want to be there. Their desire to be there is great. So they go, maybe we're there. And somewhere in them, they know they're not. Somewhere in them, they know that this is a real challenge and this is probably not going to work out the way they want it to. But they're in But if it does, hurry. I can skip all these other steps. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, and then Kim was wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's but my favorite. But see, it worked. Yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah. And the funny thing is, she's not Actually, wrong. this is my favorite. We never are. <laughs> then two weeks later, they're sheepishly looking at you saying, um, I guess you were right about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, you know what? That's not satisfying because I also want to get to the finish line. Absolutely. We're not here to just go, oh, well, now you have this problem we need to fix, and now you have this problem we need to fix. Our goals for you are the same as yours are for your dog. I mean, we are here to help you. That's what we do. That's right. That's right. And we're super motivated. I mean, both of us. We're very, very motivated to 
get this done and get this fixed. And, and get the heck out of your lives. <laughs> Not that we don't like you. You can still email us, talk to you, we can get together for lunch, whatever. It doesn't matter. But we want to help you fix your dogs. Yeah. We yeah. want to help your dogs understand. We want your. We want to help your dogs live with clarity. Yeah, I think that's probably the big thing is that we want we want to fix what goes wrong between the two of you because we know that when these problems go out the door, when these problems dissipate, the relationship becomes so much stronger. Oh, yeah. I find it really interesting, Kim, that I have so many clients who, I don't know why, especially this last year, I have a lot of clients from like 10, 15 years ago who have now gotten their new dogs, mm-hmm. and they've called me, and I'm going through their puppies like we did with their other puppies, you know, 15 years ago. And they're going, well, so-and-so never did this. And I'm going, yeah. That's another podcast. I remember. Yeah, I know. I know. And I remember their dogs. I remember their dogs as puppies. And and they're going, oh, he never chewed up a, you know, $700 pair of shoes. Oh, he, well, maybe 10 years ago, he didn't have a $700 (laughs) pair of shoes. But yes, he did. And And I can point out specifics to them. Right. Of their old dog. Your old dog did this. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, you're right. Right. But once all of those issues were gone, the dog was perfect. Perfect. The dog never had an accident in the house. The dog never jumped up on me perfect. or the counter. The dog never right. chewed up shoes or, you know, the dog was perfect from the day. Oh, house trained from eight weeks old. <laughs> and I'm going, no. And the funny thing is, that's so rewarding. I mean, yes. that when they get to that place where... They just are living in real harmony with their dog. It's a very rewarding moment, not just for them. (laughs) Obviously, the client's happy, but the truth is the trainer's real happy because that that means you've done your job. That means you've gotten where you want to get. And I think for me, even when I know that there's a problem and that we're not getting where we need to go, and even when I know that's because I'm not getting great compliance from my clients, Mm It's upsetting to me. It, yes. it feels like a failure to me. It, it feels is. like I'm I'm not getting there. And maybe that's why, for those of you who have had trainers who've gotten upset when you haven't complied, this is probably why. Because we see down the road. We see when you allow these things to happen and when you allow mistakes to happen or when you do a lot of testing instead of training. We know what the implication is there. Yeah. We know what Right the, now it's not a big deal. Three years from now, when it has snowballed into a totally another behavior, like that totally another, (laughs) totally another behavior that is worse than what it is now. And we can see that coming. And I'm not saying we're psychic. I'm just saying that we've seen it often enough that we know how behavior goes on. Right. How it changes over time. That's how right. it evolves. Thank you. That's yes. the word I was looking for. I was going to put it in there, but you just kept talking. I was thinking expands, <laughs> but I knew that wasn't right. That sort of expands. So, you know, the bottom line and the purpose of this podcast is to get people to realize, train. Train and train and train. If you're trying to change your dog's behavior, let's say you take a young puppy, a dog that really doesn't have any ingrained behaviors, and you start introducing a new behavior, you still have to train that behavior very thoroughly to the point that the dog defaults to that behavior, to the Mm. point that it is a habit for them, before you start putting it into real-life situations where you test the behavior. But I think... That's one set of circumstances. The the other thing is when you take a dog that already has ingrained behaviors. A dog that already counter-surfs or or bus skates or chases cars or or has an aggressive response. Or or hurts the children. Hurts the children. Not herds, not hurt. (laughs) Herds. Hurts the children. Or goes to the bathroom in the house. Ew. Whatever. These behaviors 
are something that the dog has practiced and gotten. Re- practice makes perfect. Yeah. These are behaviors that this dog has gotten perfect That's at. That's pretty catchy. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's mine. Be- it's original. Okay. <laughs> it's totally original, folks. You heard it here first. But even with an older animal with ingrained behaviors, you're going to have to take a lot of time training and working past what the dog thinks he already knows, what mm-hmm. is his default behavior, a long time of overriding that old behavior before you're actually going to get it to a place where you're ready to take it into a practical application. You know, earlier I said if the dog has been doing it for this amount of time, you needed to overdo it for double the amount of time. It's not just time. It's also repetitions. I mean, if he did it five times a week for three months, you can't just do it once a week for six months and think think that's going to do it. It's all about the numbers. That's a very good point. That's a very good yeah. Point. I just didn't want to mislead anybody and go. Well, it's been six months. No, that's Laura a, said that's a really good point. So I guess to sum it up, just encouraging anyone who is working with a dog to spend the time training, train and train and train, train that behavior until you think the dog's got it, and then take it to several different locations and several different scenarios and train against different types of distractions and different kinds of obstacles. Try to imagine every single scenario that you think that this could happen in and set it up as a training behavior. And when you're when you've really got that down and you think the dog is just amazingly reliable, then if you throw a test in, you're fine because the dog is probably going to pass the test. Yeah. And it's going to be so worth it in the end. Yes, because you'll have a dog you can trust. Yeah. And being able to trust your dog, being having a dog with reliable behaviors that you can truly trust is a lovely experience. Yeah. <laughs> For anyone who hasn't had it, it's yeah, a wonderful. It's like no other. Yes, it absolutely is. Yep. Well, thank you again for joining. Uh, This is Laura and Kim. Laura from Animal Attraction Unlimited. And Kim from Ain't Misbehaving Canine. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to Doggy Dish, a podcast series about dog training and other related issues. To suggest a topic for a future segment, please email us at dogdishtopics at yahoo.com. To learn more about our featured trainers... Or if you're interested in training for your own dog and you live in the Los Angeles area, you may contact Laura or Kim directly. To speak with Laura, call 818-800-4818 or visit her website at www.petdogtrainer.com. To speak with Kim, call 818-890-1133 or visit her website at www.beagooddog.com. Thank you for listening.